It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. With storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. With storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host, Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, a.k.a. Courageous Love, always just a cut above. your soul audience thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to my 2021 summer series radio show yes my name is shani cl coleman also known as courageous love and i am your host who will be gathering with the storytellers around the mic weekly storytelling is a gift It is meant to be shared, and our mission is to continue to provide a global stage for storytellers of all genres of storytelling. This is the time where storytellers get to share their gift. And you, the listening audience, you are invited to join the gathering weekly. Tune in, tell a friend, share, send us a message, and let us know if you would like to join us live after the special storytelling presentation. We will be gathering online to make that happen during this summer series. But Before we get started today, I thank God, my family, friends, and ancestors for their ongoing support. For those of you listening for the first time ever, Radio Theater for Your Soul has been the gathering place around the mic for storytellers since the beginning of 2016. 2016, everybody. We or I (laughs) took a hiatus in 2018, which led me to fully understand and embrace the benefits and healing properties of storytelling, which prior to creating this show, I may have taken for granted. Oh, oh, but the storytellers, the listeners, you would not let me forget how important hearing someone's story really made the difference in your day, in your week, in your life. So in 2019, I began to pull together thoughtful archival footage, photos, testimonials, and narration from our previous broadcasts to reveal the making of this internet radio show in the form of a film, a documentary, 
something more visual. It celebrates the fascinating minds and hearts of over 100 storytellers who were featured right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul, but during the first four seasons. The documentary is titled Radio Theater for Your Soul, a docu-story. And I am so excited to tell you that it has been making the rounds in the film festival circuit. Also, please check out all of our past shows anytime by visiting radiogathering.wixsite.com slash radiogathering. We're also in the archives on acceleratedradio.net. A big shout out to the Accelerated Radio family and their entire team for hosting our first four seasons and love you all. And if you're on social media, please follow us at Radio Gathering. That's one word, Radio Gathering, at at Radio Gathering, R-A-D-I-O-G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G, Radio Gathering, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram for the most recent updates. Finally, I am grateful to have this global stage as a gathering place to share my love of storytelling. Oh my God, your support has been so appreciated. I am so grateful. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul. I am Courageous Love, and you are listening to our 2021 Summer Series. This show is brought to you by Kombucha EXL. Far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Even from the subways of New York City, you're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul. So, does anyone want to know what Radio Theater for Your Soul is really all about? Yeah, yes. tell us what is Radio Theater Soul. You want to know what it's about? Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell me. All right, all right. Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell. It is all about storytelling and storytellers featuring unique voices, the written and or unwritten words during this one hour broadcast. This 2021 eight-week summer series will be a combination of live and pre-recorded special presentations. Internet radio is our global stage, our gathering place around the mic that virtually replaces the baobab tree where all kind of stories have been and continue to be shared. Now, if you tuned in to any of our previous shows, you heard featured storytellers from all walks of life. And we continue on that road. Today, we travel to the East Coast and welcome to the gathering, Ms. Cami Torres. Cami Torres is a resident of NYC, New York City, but sees herself as a resident of the world. As a photographer, she has had the pleasure of photographing some of the most beautiful countries in the world and enjoys studying languages. Art is an important aspect of Cami's life, and she expresses this via her favorite mediums 
theater, writing, music, and photography. Cami is also the co-host of the To-Do List podcast on Anchor FM, which celebrates culture, travel, and living life to its fullest. Gathering hold of the mic to share her voice, a personal journey, her story, is featured storyteller, artist, Cami Torres. In 1967, interracial marriage was formally legalized in the U.S., which in the grand scheme of things really wasn't that long ago. But even though it became legal, for many it still wasn't accepted, and for some, it still isn't. My parents never factored this into their relationship when they met at college. They just saw each other. I had heard the story many times before. Dad at 11 had had a vision of his future while praying under a tree, and my mother's face appeared. He knew that she was the one for him. He just had to find her. On my mother's first day of school, she accidentally walked over to the boys' dorms at college, a chance meeting, knocking on my father's door. When he answered the door, he he knew my mother was the woman from his vision, and he was smitten. A few years later, they were married, and the world was still in the midst of change, but still in parts hesitant towards interracial relationships. But my parents were in love, and that was all that mattered. My mother was born into a farming community with a father who wasn't always tolerant of those who were different. I was raised to listen to his random rants and immediately zoned him out. At an early age, he promptly gave me life advice on who was okay to date while I promptly forgot his ignorant rants and moved on. I remember once asking him why he felt that it was best to stay with my own kind if mom married a Mexican man. His response was that my father didn't act Mexican, so that officially made him white. Genetics be damned, I suppose. My father was raised on a ranch in California in a very traditional Mexican family. I remember my father recalling his first experience at Catholic school. He could barely speak English, and when lunch came around, he was confused by the foreign food. I mean, it's all relative, right? And being confused by the silverware in front of him. He was used to using tortillas and stabbed at his food with a fork in his fist until he was corrected by a nun. I remember his laughter over the story and how one learns quickly to correct themselves when a nun is hovering by. I also remember his stories of poverty and at times violence, my father liking his life to that of his favorite movie, which was West Side Story. It made sense. In many ways, art did more than imitate reality. It was his true existence. He too had to join a gang to survive the streets and the constant violence between the Mexican teens and the white teens. The whites saw my father and his friends as outsiders and would spend their time trying to make their lives difficult, using violence as a means if needed. My father learned to fight and even had scars on his body from where he'd been stabbed. I never saw them as my dad was always covered, but my mother spoke to me in private about them as I got older. I remember a story in which dad's friend began dating a white woman. In retaliation, his friend was hospitalized and put into critical condition for crossing the line by the white teens. Later on, it was payback, and my father and his friends took their revenge on the offenders. It was a cycle that my dad knew he needed to get out of if he was going to survive, so he studied hard and went to college. The rest was history, and in a few years, they married. Both of my parents decided to move to the Bay Area, as it was more liberal, with lots of opportunity, especially for a couple like themselves. People tend to be more open-minded, so anything goes. Once my parents began having children, they never really thought about the issues of us being biracial. They were in love and wanted a large family. My mother's background varies, but her bloodline is completely European, mostly Czech, so when she married my father, I think she knew her children would most likely never look like her, as her genes were very recessive. 
but to quote Jurassic Park, life has a way. In fact, when my oldest brother was born, he had blonde hair and blue eyes, but over time his appearance changed, looking very similar to my father. My middle brother from day one was a spitting image of her father, no question. When I was born, my family was very excited to finally have a baby girl, but were shocked to see bright red locks of hair with streaks of white cascading from my head. Dad said it would pass like it did for my brother, but that was not the case. It was apparent that I'd be retaining my porcelain skin and auburn hair. Still, my parents couldn't be prouder and were happy to be blessed with yet another healthy child. As time went on, my mother would step in as my main caregiver as my dad was rarely around. Not all that happy about her own father's views growing up, she introduced us to many new cuisines and cultural experiences. In fact, I never really knew I was different until after watching some random scene from a television show in which my brother made a random comment about the Mexican actor on the screen. I was around five at that time, and I didn't understand what Mexican meant. Kids are taught differences. They aren't born believing anything but survival needs and love. My brother made some disparaging remark that he had heard at school. Mom quickly let him know that comments like that were not acceptable. Confused, my brother mentioned that he had learned this at school, so it must be right. I remember my mother telling my brother that by saying these things, he was insulting his father and the three of us. We too are Mexican. Slowly, he, he became upset, tears filling his eyes in confusion. It was at that point that we learned that my dad was Mexican, thus in turn making us Mexican. That upset my brother. I was just confused. It really didn't seem all that bad. I liked my brothers. I didn't know my father that well, as he was working in L.A., visiting us a few weeks at a time every few months, but he seemed okay in my eyes. But I began to question why someone would think Mexicans were bad. My mother sat down next to me on the floor as I abandoned my coloring book to ask why my brother had been upset. She explained that in the world, there were different types of people from different parts of the world. They may look different and have slightly different ways of doing things, but they were all the same. But society created some strange idea of how people should be treated due to these differences. I asked if this was similar to my friend Jeanette's mother, who was from Germany. Her English was broken, but she fed me pizza bites, which made her pretty amazing in my eyes. She said yes. But sometimes these differences went further, like how my father was darker than me with coffee brown eyes. I remember this confused me. How was this even an issue? But I was put at ease when my mother pointed out that she'd married a man who just happened to be Mexican-American. In the end, he was just her husband and the love of her life. I nodded my head and went back to drawing purple and red cats. Many times I'd heard stories of my father's parents, but I'd never met anyone from his side of the family as a child. My dad's family was from Mexico, making them very traditional. They were very proud of their culture and were a little concerned when my father had shown up with my mother one day. From my understanding, my mother's background clashed with theirs, and neither was too fond of each other as the years passed. Once my older brother was born, my fam father's family was interested in raising him the way they saw fit, which was traditionally how things were done, but my mother, who had little control as a child, rebelled and wanted to raise her son the way she and my father wanted. Feelings were hurt and misunderstandings continued until the two families rarely saw each other. By the time I was born, neither one of my brothers had seen them in years. I grew up referring to them as Mr. and Mrs. on various phone calls when we received them during the year. I was told to call them abuela and abuelo, but as I'd never met them, I really didn't feel comfortable with that. I remember my oldest brother speaking to dad's mom on the phone while we all waited for our turn. She would gush over him as he was the oldest male grandson, which gave him a special place in their hearts as the culture reveres the oldest son in many ways. My other brother was next. They gushed over his kindness and how handsome he was in the pictures that were sent. 
My turn was next. It quickly became strange. Shyly, I said, hello. The first question asked was how I was. The second question was what color was my hair? Okay, innocent enough. What color were my eyes? Well, they had pictures. Last question, what color was I? I was around seven years old and shocked to be asked this question from my father's mother. I awkwardly answered, white. Immediately, she asked to speak to my father. I was no longer of use to her. My mother pulled me aside, asking what happened. I'd only been on the phone two minutes tops. I told her that she had asked me about what I looked like, and when I told her my skin color, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. The next time she called, my mother listened on the phone downstairs. Ah, the days of landlines, call waiting, and picking up the phone quietly to spy on a conversation. Again, she gushed over my brothers who looked like my father while she would ask me the same questions about my appearance, finally asking to speak to my father in disgust when I told her that I was still white. It wasn't going to be going away anytime soon. My mother hung up the phone and began yelling at my father while he tried to shut her up so as not to embarrass his family. Many fights were had over those long-distance calls. I remember going into my room sadly, burying myself into a song. Family is where a child should feel the safest, but to be honest, I didn't feel safe or accepted anywhere. I was always the other. I never really fit in anywhere. There were many reasons for this, but in many ways, my childhood was very isolated, filled with sadness, doubt, and extreme insecurity. I I learned early on many people were not nice and were not to be trusted, and I slowly built up a wall. A few years later, my dad ended up losing his job when his company went under, so he and my mother decided to move us closer to our family in another state. It would be better for us as a family as my dad would be living with us again, and there would be less chance of us children, you know, getting into trouble in a smaller town, and we'd also have cousins to play with and and things like that. Kids don't like extreme change, and I remember the three of us being very unhappy to be leaving everything we knew. The day of the move, I remembered the dread washing over me as my once familiar neighborhood was out of view and all the landmarks I once knew were out of sight. That was the first time I ever felt extreme loss. I really didn't want to go. I I loved it there. We drove for hours. Finally, towards the end of our trip, I remember looking at the barren and dry landscape of California, slowly passing by as I was lulled to sleep by the sound of the car on the highway. When I woke up, I looked out the window in awe of the lush green, and I I was now surrounded by it. It was a stunning sight. Our new house was quaint, nicely situated under large trees with a happy backyard for children and pets. Maybe I'd like this new place, but quickly it was apparent that things were not like the Bay Area. As I've learned in life, ignorance is everywhere. When I say ignorance, I, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. We're all ignorant to so many things throughout our lifetimes. It's the human way. But some refuse to see another side and react in cruelty, making the ignorance inexcusable. Our actions and lack of wanting to understand separates those who want to grow versus those who refuse. I can deal with ignorance. It's the intent behind it. Our first day there, my brothers and I walked around the block quickly to see who else was in the neighborhood. There was a group of boys my brother quickly addressed as rednecks. They mentioned it was probably best that I stay away from them as they could be trouble. At seven, I didn't want to stay away from anyone, but my brothers had always been my protectors, so I listened closely and decided to steer clear as much as possible. After surveying the area some more, my brothers both had a concerned look on their face. This place was not like San Francisco, and things might get ugly quickly. We didn't realize how quickly it would be. Childhood is painted out to be this magical time where a child is guided by their family into a magical world where they can find endless possibilities. 
If you could imagine it, it could be. My childhood was a bit different being that my dad was raised traditionally in the Mexican culture. Several things were instilled deeply into our minds. Men were men and women were women. What dad said goes and mom had to accept this truth. Also, my brothers had special privileges being that they were male. You know, they could travel more freely and do more things than me. You know, the world was more dangerous for a girl than a boy. I remember my brothers dreaming of what they would be. I wanted to dream as well. Perhaps I'd be a prima ballerina, a police officer, or my biggest dream, an opera singer. I worked hard and I practiced my high notes daily to my family's annoyance. I, w- I was going to be a star and I had to hit the high notes even if it made my brothers want to punch me in the head at times. But one day I was told that I wasn't allowed. I could only become a school teacher, which was more fitting for a girl until it was time to marry and have babies. My dad bypassed this completely, letting me know that school wasn't important for me, at least not higher education. That was best left to the boys who would need this to take care of their family so they could carry on the family name. My job was to marry and have a family of my own, but my time was temporary with the surname. I remember telling my father that I'd carry his name instead. I didn't want any other last name but mine, but he laughed and told me that the right thing to do was to change my name to my husband's. I wasn't meant to have my name forever. It wasn't my right. I remember feeling so frustrated and hurt by my lack of choices only because of my gender. Traditional Mexican women didn't work but took care of the family first and foremost. It was the man's duty to take care of the finances. As I grew up, mostly around boys, as I was the only daughter and female cousin on my mother's side, I always preferred things that were considered boy hobbies. I loved riding bikes, building forts, and playing sports for hours. I hated dresses and dolls and wanted to play with my male friends all day to my father's dismay. I remember one day coming into the house dirty from a full day of playing and him uttering, I was so happy to have a daughter, but I ended up with three sons. Why why can't you be a normal girl? The social norms can be strong in the Mexican culture. It's strange because my father raised us traditionally as far as many Mexican social norms go. Yet he had a strange pull between us wanting to be fully American and being unable to let go of the past. Example, he refused to speak to us and teach us Spanish, though as a child I'd heard it often enough that I began picking up the language as young children do, but when I tried to speak Spanish to him, he told me it was best to stick to English. Being American was more important, but I needed to know the ranks of being a female. It was also apparent where I fit as far as the childhood ranks in my neighborhood and at school. My last name was a dead giveaway that one of these things was not like the other. In San Francisco, I was the norm, and in our new life, I was an outsider. In my neighborhood, there were five families who were viewed as different, and they were spoken of often at that time because it was rare in that area. There was a young man adopted as an infant from China, along with the Vietnamese family who had just moved into our neighborhood around the same time I had, along with the Mitchells, the only African-American family in the town, and my dear friend at the time that was also Mexican heritage. That left our family. The only difference was that we were the only biracial family for miles. I had learned quickly that in my new life that this wasn't going to fly. I remember one family in particular hated us. Okay, I'm not one one of those people for stereotypes, and I have been to the South many, many times. They are some of the loveliest people I have ever met in my life. But there are the old school families who hold on to the old beliefs. They, they refuse to face the ignorance and change, as I stated earlier. Well, that was this family. I remember slowly being integrated into the neighborhood social order, and things were fine for the most part. That is, until certain people came with their claws out. 
there's a certain innocence to childhood, and I remember this day clear as yesterday. It had rained that morning, and the sky was still gray with the light chill in the air. We were kicking a ball around when the kids from the Southern family came out to join. I was quickly told they didn't want to play if I was there. Of course I asked why. Without hesitation, they told me their parents had told them to stay away from our family. We were the devil's spawn. Dramatic, yes. I couldn't help but chuckle. I mean, were they for real? When nobody else began to laugh, I'd realize I'd gotten my answer. I, I didn't even know what that meant. It was broken down pretty quickly. We broke the law of God, and they didn't want us around spoiling the neighborhood because we weren't fully white. In confusion, I asked why they were okay with the other children who were not white, and was told that they knew their place. They had stuck with their own kind. My parents didn't, making us half-breeds, which quickly became my new nickname for years. I turned to my friend Dee, who was African-American, and asked if people really thought this way. She shrugged and stood behind what was said. I was her friend, but it put me at the bottom of the chain socially. I don't fault Dee. She was raised to believe this garbage too and had dealt with her own issues in this terrible neighborhood. It just makes me sick today to think about how easily she believed in her lot in the neighborhood along with mine. If you think about it, we were all victims of society's downfalls. It wasn't either of our fault, but it didn't make either of us feel any better. I had been fighting my whole life, but this was a new battle I wasn't fully prepared for. But even still, I pushed back, refusing to be put down for something that was out of my control. I stayed and I played ball. But at dinner time, I ran home and spoke to my brothers about what had happened. They just shrugged and said, told you so. Welcome to reality. Still happy to be here? I ran to my room and cried. My father had raised us to never cry. It was for the week, so I spent many days in my room, sadly locked away, quietly putting my nose into a book. My childhood wasn't the happiest, but I learned to soothe myself in music and reading. My imagination became my best friend. I also learned how to become a verbal assassin, along with learning new physical moves to take down any kid who threatened me for being different. My brothers wouldn't allow me to be weak, and I needed to defend myself against those racists, as they put it. At school... I was made fun of for being different constantly. I was the half-breed beaner lover who was an embarrassment to the neighborhood. My parents were parading their shame. I remember my middle brother coming home after getting into another fight with classmates. Over time, his nickname was Gladiator. His, he was always in fights over our family differences. I, too, had to get into scrapes for being that family. On many occasions, I was made fun of or spat at, our property destroyed, and even threatened to be raped to teach me and my family a lesson for me being born biracial. The sad thing is that one would hope to find solace in our family, but we never wanted to bring our parents any pain. They had had difficult lives, and my dad especially had dealt with a lot of racism. As I had mentioned earlier in his youth, he was beaten up so much for being Mexican that he had to join a gang just to survive. He was lucky. He studied hard and went to college, even though the odds were against him. I didn't want to make him feel badly again for being born Mexican. Society had done that enough. Luckily, my upbringing wasn't as violent, though the racist remarks kept coming. Insults hurled, fists thrown, property destroyed. At school, most of the Mexican kids were shunned, but that didn't mean they accepted me either. Even though I, too, was being shunned, many hated me as well. Due to theft... We had to wear our last names on a t-shirt for Jim. Many of the Mexican girls scoffed and cornered me, reminding me I was not one of them and that I should remove the shirt because I wasn't Mexican and I didn't deserve the name. 
(laughs) I fought back. I wasn't going to be bullied by both sides of my biological makeup. Of course I was afraid. I had no interest in fighting, but I would not back down and I would not cry. Strangely enough, I ended up befriending one of the girls after we ended up in Spanish class together. You know, I was so excited to finally learn about my Mexican roots and was ready to learn the language and more about my culture that I was denied. At first, we all thought the Mexican kids would school us in the language, but as it was for my father, it turned out this wasn't the case. They spoke street Spanish and and couldn't really read their own language well. The other kids made fun of the Mexicans and called them stupid, but I knew they were first-generation kids trapped between cultures like my father had been. Their parents didn't speak English, and they were left alone in their education with no financial means for a tutor. During class and sometimes at lunch, I would work with her and tell her she wasn't stupid. She was like my father, and he made it okay. One day, she would be better off, and she'd be fully bilingual and more powerful than most people. One day, one of the meanest girls in school who happened to be Mexican cornered me. She had always shouted at me in the halls. Her hate for me was strong. She was going to teach me a lesson for thinking I was better than her. Anyone who knew me knew I was proud, but I never thought I was better than anyone. In fact, it was quite the opposite. I could barely look anyone in the eye unless I was playing tough and and fighting people. I was extremely insecure. But before she could take me down, the girl from my class that I tutored came from nowhere, taking the other girl down. She was a big, strong girl. No match. I remember her words to this day. She is one of us. She threw a few punches at the other girl, throwing her into the lockers. Finally, the teachers broke it up and my friend turned to me while being pulled away shouting, That's for you, girl. You're one of us. She never came back to school. Both dropped out and I never heard from either of them again. I still feel guilty. To this day, I wish I could have helped her make a better decision and hope she could have overcome her hardships like my dad did. But sadly, as my dad pointed out, this usually wasn't the case. But even with all the social media of today, she's disappeared. I hope she is happy and knows her worth. She was beautiful. My father's family still tried to make contact with us once or twice a year. You know, it was their son. But they could never come to terms with me and would rarely send birthday cards. But unlike my brothers, my cards would show up three months late. The excuse? That their other grandchildren were more precious, important, and had to have lavish parties thrown in their honor. In contrast, my brother's cards were always on time or early. I remember hiding the hurt and disappearing into my room, but my mother could read how upset I was. I finally asked my mom to tell them to stop sending me cards. I didn't want them. It was too painful and a reminder that I wasn't lovable for being the wrong color yet again. The last straw was when I was 15. His family called to tell him that they would be in our state on a road trip. Always wanting to please people and to be loved, I was the first to volunteer. I was so very proud of my Mexican heritage and was learning the language at school, speaking to my father in broken Spanish when he was around. He finally accepted I would not give up on wanting to learn the culture I'd been denied. I even had tried to learn more about the culture through local Mexican cultural events in town and was so excited to show them my knowledge. I was indeed one of them, even if my appearance was different. I remember sneaking upstairs and listening to my mother speak to my father on the phone while he was at work. She called my brothers into the kitchen and asked if they wanted to meet their other grandparents. They asked if I'd be going knowing the past conflict. Quietly, she told them that I was not invited. They didn't want to see me, only the boys. My oldest brother refused, telling my mother that if I wasn't invited, he wouldn't be going. My other brother followed suit. I will never forget that feeling. That was the last time I really spoke to that side of the family. 
Over the years, little changed in the way I was perceived, and I began hanging out with the city kids who were much older than me and began to audition for theater productions. My years of singing and living in my imagination had paid off, and I was working professionally, but there was still too much negativity. I knew my best strategy was to leave that town and did it a little while after I graduated high school. It got better, but there were still moments that would creep up from time to time that made me uncomfortable. Several times I was asked if I would sleep with various guys because they had never been with a Latina before and I seemed like a good place to start for the checklist. I I was Latina light after all. Coors and me had something in common, I suppose. You know, I will say to this day, I find it really degrading that people have a checklist for having sex with different races and ethnicities. This seriously exists even today. I kid you not. When the lights are off, you don't know who you're dealing with. It's just plain stupid, but it's real. Strangely enough, one of the would-be conquerors was the southern boy from my old neighborhood that I ran into a few years later. I nodded my head in disgust and told him that his racist parents would sure love that. Of course, he said he wanted to keep it a secret from everyone. A secret. (laughs) I laughed in his face and walked away. Maybe not the most mature approach, but by 18, I was already pretty tired by life in many ways. Also, the fact that he thought I had any desire to have anything to do with him was laughable. The funny thing is he recently requested to be my friend on social media. I had to put the nicks on that. You know what? Welcome to Facebook purgatory. He's still waiting. It takes a lot to hurt me now, but now and again, there'll be some incident that I just can't ignore. Like the time one of my best friends had me over for dinner with his amazing family. His grandmother, who is very old school in her way of thinking, was there. I knew she didn't like me, but I was always taught to respect my elders and would put up with their disdain and pointed comments. One day, she told us a story of a mariachi band playing outside a local store. She recalled that for Mexicans, they were actually almost attractive. (laughs) I stopped eating in shock. She turned to me and exclaimed, Oh my God, you're one of them, putting her hand to her mouth. I reached out and told her it was okay when I saw the look on her face. Why I was comforting this woman, I don't know. I was used to apologizing for just being me, but before I touched her shoulder to comfort her, she swatted my hand in disgust. I left the table and went to my friend's bedroom. There there was no way I would cry and give anyone power over me. My friend's father walked in and apologized. She was just from another time. I told him I was used to it. There was also the time that I went back to school a few years back to finish my degree. One of the creative writing instructors went around in a circle describing all of us through her eyes. When my turn came, she called me the pseudo-Latuna who really was white and always would be. I was so angry. I almost went to the head of the department but chose to walk away. She was right. Maybe some would never understand my journey and how I struggled to be acknowledged for being Latina. Some will say I didn't earn it living in a white world when in actuality I was in many ways denied. My dad wanted us to be all American to avoid his fate, and his family couldn't accept me. But I am indeed Latina. I had to go. Too many things had happened in my life in that adoptive state we had moved into, so I made the decision to come to New York. But without really knowing anyone on the East Coast and only having been there once, it was pretty difficult. But when a living situation popped up, I jumped on it. I'd always wanted to be a performer, and I was ready to take the next step. Life was very different from the West Coast, and I loved the diversity and the excitement of the city, but over time I began to see the city in many ways was still divided. Many people felt safer in their childhood groups, and many of them were culturally divided. 
It was strange to witness as NYC was the melting pot, but over time I could see why people felt safer, more accepted within a group that understood them and their struggles. In some ways, I wish I knew what that felt like. I never really fit in anywhere, but was slowly learning that that was okay. I was making new friends, and they were also very diverse. I love that so much about New York. Though many weren't phased by my last name and my appearance not matching social expectations, the same questions I'd been asked before began to occur here and there, especially looking for jobs. When being called in for interviews, people would be shocked to see me walk in the door. It reminded me of going to the DMV back home where the Mexicans sat on one side and those of European descent sat on the other. When my name was called, the person at the window would look to the Mexican side only to have me wave my hand frantically at them as I stepped to the window. You don't want to lose your place at the DMV. Looking around the room, people had that same surprised look. My name would be repeated with doubt as I nodded my head, handing over my license for proof. This same confusion would come over the interviewer's face. They would ask if I spoke Spanish, and I would say, well, no, I'm not fluent, especially when it comes to business terms. The interviewer would utter, of course not, you're white. Once I was hired, comments would be thrown my way, some affectionately teasing me while others stung a bit. Once, one of my bosses interrupted my lunch to ask me to buy him fruit. Being that he was one of the co-owners, I had to jump when he said to. As I headed to the door, he reminded me to get the good stuff. I was Mexican. I should know where to find it. Well, at least my Mexican heritage was finally being acknowledged. The funny thing is that, as I've gone from job to job, many companies will not acknowledge me as a minority unless it helps them. One job, HR called to ask me why I hadn't checked the race box on my form. I told them it was optional and I wasn't comfortable answering that question. They asked me if I saw myself as Latina. I said I did, but I didn't want to ignore my mother's side as she was my primary caregiver growing up. I always acknowledged both sides. They both earned it. Their response was, couldn't I just check the Latina box to help their numbers? They hadn't hired enough and it looked bad to New York State, so when it benefited the company, I was recognized as more than the white girl with the strange last name. Obviously, I refused. The phone was slammed down by HR. It wouldn't surprise me if they checked the box anyway. This has happened in various ways in most companies I've worked for. Quotas need to be filled, even if you've been called a fake Latina. Sadly, this would continue into the world that I love most, theater. I came so close so many times to touring companies and Broadway shows only to be cut because they needed someone a bit more ethnic and even though they loved me, I wasn't quite right for the show. Once a Latino casting company called me in. They had my headshot but wanted to see me in person. At the interview, a woman asked me in Spanish if I spoke the language. I told her in English that I understand it but speak it poorly. Passive bilingual is what one of my Latino friends called it. She rolled her eyes at me and asked, why was I there? I fired back, you tell me. You had my head shot. Usually I'm very professional, but this woman was just rude. Next to me, they were auditioning a girl for a Latina beauty contest. She pointed out how beautiful the other girl was, which she was, and how unless I looked like that, they wanted nothing to do with me. I wasn't a real Latina. I grabbed my things and left. I'd like to say that this was rare, but by the end of my professional auditioning days, I was told by countless casting agencies that though I was extremely talented, they were looking for real minorities, and even with my last name, I didn't quite cut it. The ignorance was real. I've traveled the world, including Spain and Argentina. 
I would love for these people to witness the varying beauty of all the different shades of all the Latin people, including the light-skinned ones with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, and tell them that they are not real Latinos. But sadly, ignorance is real, and I was a casualty. Finally, I decided to get a full-time job and go back to school for a while. I needed a change of pace and was tired of the lifestyle. Again, I would like to say that things have changed. In some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. With all that's going on in the world, we have a long way to go on so many fronts. But people still like to put things into neat little boxes that make sense. My whole life, I wanted to stop explaining myself, but eventually I stopped getting snippy to those who asked the same questions. Are you married? Divorced? Why do you look the way you do? Mm, your father probably wasn't yours. Probably the mailman's. As a child, I can't even begin to explain how much damage that had done. Up until I was 14, I really thought I was adopted because nobody in my family looked like me. I felt like I had no identity. Now, I've let go of the anger and learned to educate. I know that look on people's faces, the one of confusion when they learn my last name. I make a quick joke responding, no, I am not adopted, divorced, or married. I am biracial and white as hell. No, I can't go out in the sun or I will burn, and I do love enchiladas. P.S. Nachos are American food and Taco Bell is not considered legit. Most laugh and say, I take it you've been asked this before. I nod. Instead of being upset, I embrace my differences, even if others don't. It made me who I am, and because of it, I love other people and their beautiful diversity, traveling all over the world and learning five different languages, some very poorly. I love the beautiful diversity I am surrounded by in this beautiful world and wished we lived in a world where it was celebrated by everyone. I am a poster child of the slow change. I was blessed to be part of not one culture, but two. You can choose for it to cripple you by hurt or anger or make it can make you a better person, part of a special club of people who know how wonderful it truly is. Sadly, my dad passed unexpectedly, which shook me to the core. I have loved few in this life so far due to distrust. He was my rock and the one person who knew me more than anyone. He was the only person who loved me unconditionally and saw me as perfect, just the way I was. Many times apologizing for his behavior when he was younger. He never knew that a daughter could grow up to be the rock of the family, taking care of what needed to be done, healing the family as best as I could over the years. I even went to college after being discouraged for years as a child, becoming salutatorian and the first to graduate from both sides of my family right here in New York City. His headstrong daughter became the pillar of the family and I was his best friend. We had a rough start but he became my everything as I grew older and began to fully understand and appreciate him for who he was. I miss him daily. But he would be so proud to know that with his passing, I brought the other side together with us, his side. When I called to let them know of his unexpected passing, they quietly asked if they could come to his funeral. It was their brother. I replied that it would be so wrong if they didn't. They were family. For the first time, I met my father's side. It was hard, but I had to let go of the pain, the anger, and the loss of never knowing them in childhood. But we are in contact, and I hope to meet my aunt one day soon in San Francisco.
I want to learn about her family and most of all my father and his youth along with my ancestors in Mexico. So what do I take from this journey thus far? People love to put other people in the boxes and people accept it. Many of us are so quick to accept any label thrown at us or made for us by ourselves even. I am me and my journey is unique. I don't need anyone's approval to just be me. For the first time in my life, I am learning to just be me. Yes, my fiery nature still pops up here and there from the years of fighting other people and hiding my true self. I've always joked I was born swinging due to my childhood on so many fronts, but there's something peaceful of just going with the flow. Many people still don't understand me and my unique journey, especially when it comes to my biological makeup. But several have embraced me, some of the most accepting being women of color. Many were friends that I met at work, whether it be corporate jobs or theater, and over time, we discussed our backgrounds. Life is hard for all, but especially difficult if you are deemed different in any way. I was biracial and supposedly confused, and they were African-American and an obvious target for ignorance and racism. I remember one woman telling me how she would always get pulled over going home from work to pick up her kids by the police because of her color. One day, after a long day, she got angry and the officer mentioned it was just a routine stop. She was so angry and told him it was just an excuse. She just wanted to go home to her babies and cook dinner. This broke my heart. I, I, I would truly never understand how that felt. Being a light Latina as I am, I could get married and walk away. Nobody would ever guess my minority status. My brothers had suggested this numerous times. Hide that shame was what I was always told. But this wonderful woman told me that we can't let history repeat itself. That is what happened to children who passed for white during slavery. Those times were over and never needed to be repeated. I was a Mexican-American woman and deserved to be seen for being just that, even if society couldn't wrap its stupid head around it. God, I love that woman. Race and identity is a tough topic. It's a different road for everyone. My experience could be very different from others who were born multiracial, especially nowadays as more multicultural children are being born. Some will have better experiences, some will have worse, because life is a lottery of sorts. You don't know who you'll be born to or where, you just, in the end, have to push forward in any situation you're placed into. Many people have told me that children like me were confused, but I can say that was not true. I was never confused until society stepped in telling me I should be. This questioning was brought from both sides. You know, it's funny, because I can now see why my dad loved West Side Story so much. He chose not to stay with his own kind. And though it was hard and many times didn't have a happy ending, as is the way of life, he lived life his way with my mother by his side for a sweet while and raised three uniquely beautiful children. Maybe we couldn't fully be appreciated beyond face value. Maybe in many ways I was made to feel less because I was less pure by both sides of the coin. And yes, and in many ways I was robbed of my culture and seen as an outsider but it made me who I am today, even if I don't quite fit into the societal box. For the first time in my life, I can proudly say, I love who I've become.
Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. Welcome back to Radio Theater for Your Soul. I'm your host, Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. And you just heard featured storyteller, artist, podcast host of the to-do list, Cami Torres. Thank you again for being here, Cami. Please tell our listeners how or where they can hear you, see you, or contact you. Perfect. So I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So I do have a podcast. It is the to-do list podcast and you can check that out on anchor FM, but it goes to basically all the major podcast streams. Um, you can also find us at podcast to do list on Facebook. If you'd like to see some of the photography that I do, I am a photographer. There's things there. And also my social media is curious binky on Instagram. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big social media person, so I rarely post, but I'm trying to be better. Ah, oh, <laughs> you have to be. The, the to-do to list podcast is wonderful, everybody. But listeners, we are, again, on the phone live with featured storyteller Cami Torres. She just shared a very personal story dealing with, with skin color, with culture, with family, and so much more. And... Now, people have questions, and we do have a listener waiting on the line. But before I introduce the listener, Cami, is there anything else you would like to share that you didn't get a chance you know, to in your the presentation? Thing I just want to say, you know, as everybody's going through their uh, their own journey, so try to be kind and understanding. And I think that's something I've slowly learned as I've gotten older. I think you see that more when you have more years behind you, you know. But that being said, you can't compromise your happiness either, you know, so mm -hmm. it's a nice balance. But the main thing is to just be kind to yourself with things. You know, there's a lot of people who will say negative things because of maybe their own issues and their own life experiences, but that doesn't reflect on you. So you just have to be, be true to yourself and what you believe in and yourself most important you know? Yeah, that's positive. And I, that's appreciated because the reality is that everybody is going through something. So how they treat you or how they are really has to do with them. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. Exactly. But, you know, so, and I loved your story. And, and so before we, you know, wind down, cause it, it, we are kind of close to the hour, but we have a few minutes. I'd like to bring on the line, one of our listeners, I believe we have Noah. Noah, where are you listening from and what's your question for Cammie? Hello, hello, hello. I am listening from New York City. And I have a question for Cammie, but I do want to thank you, Miss Shawnee C.L. Coleman, for doing Radio Theater for Your Soul. It has been wonderful to listen to you, and I want to congratulate you on all your success. It's been wonderful, so thank you. Oh, 
thank you. I appreciate it. And just listeners, just real quickly, just so you know, I know Noah from way, way <laughs> back. And Noah was gracious enough to refer Cammy. And I just thank you, Noah. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad well, you're I'm here. glad to be here. And my question for Cammy, I was wrestling between two questions. But uh, thank you, Cammy, first of all, for sharing your story. It, it was very personal. Um, what I, I, as somebody who has not lived your experience, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes you described a lot of hard times that we went through. There were a number of passages in your presentation that struck me. But one of the things that comes up for me is when you are dealing with things that you cannot control, because so much of what you've had to deal with is outside of your sphere of control, mm -hmm. how do you maintain your power or feel empowered in those situations? You know what? It, it used to be that with a lot of the situations, I try to fight against it sometimes um, and, and be stubborn at times to the way that life would take me even beyond this. And I just learned to sometimes it's just best to relax and go with the flow. That's not saying put up with abusive behavior or things that other people are doing that aren't acceptable, but it's also the way that you react. And I've kind of learned I have to center myself a little bit better. As I said earlier, People bring their own things into the way they interact with other people. And that doesn't necessarily have to be my truth. And so in a lot of ways, I've had to really look at that. Um, also find what centers me, you know, music, the arts really helped me get through that. Um, also, I'm going to be honest, counseling really helped me speaking to somebody outside of the situation mm -hmm. and realizing that I needed to find my own truths and be a little bit more flexible in life to take down those walls that I talked about. Um, they don't have to be there anymore. They were there when I was a child because it helped me survive, but I don't need them today. And you could keep people out of your life who are wonderful people if you keep those walls up. Cool, yes. hey, thank you. Yep. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's a great question too, Noah. And I'm, I'm just going to um, kind of, I, I wanna say piggyback on that, but I'm going to ask you, a follow-up to that. So when you talk about those people, we're talking about people who were your family members. Mm -hmm. And if you had anything, um, if you had them listening to this pot to this podcast, or if you if they hear it later, is there anything that you would like them to know? Yes. Um, I have no ill will towards them at all. You know, they were on their own journey. I, I may not fully understand why, uh, especially why one person went in the direction she did with the questions that were asked and the way that I was treated. But I, I've heard she had a hard life. And so she was just doing what maybe she was taught. It doesn't mm -hmm. always excuse things, but look, I've been in contact with many of my dad's family since, and they are wonderful people. And I do have to say that they helped raise a wonderful man. My father was one of the most beautiful people on this planet. And they, can't be that bad if they raise such a wonderful human being. So That's even right. though I don't fully understand the actions, I see them for who they are today. And we do have a very good relationship. And I'm blessed to have them in my life in this time period. I love that. Sometimes it takes a while for good things to happen. So, you know. Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure your dad would be very proud of you. Very proud of you. Because that is the high road, too. And you can't hold on to things from when the, when it happened way back when. It's time, you know, at some point you do have to do your self-care and grow. And hopefully those people have as well. Or I don't want to say those people. But hopefully the family members who were not as kind as they could have been, hopefully they will grow or have grown. 
Right. And the kids that are there, I've, I've met many of them. They're just wonderful. And they don't necessarily know the history, but they're just lovely, lovely people. You know, sometimes uh. we just make poor decisions in life at a brief time. And that doesn't necessarily represent who we are. So as a full person. And so that's how I look at it now. And I'm very blessed to have them in my life. They're beautiful people. I love that. I love that. Well, Noah, are you still on the line, Noah? Yes. Yes, I am. Did you have any other questions for Cammy? Oh, my other, <laughs> my other question I feel is a tough one. But my question was, because Cammy, you had talked about some of the things you had gone through. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if it had changed, whether for the better or for the worse, and whether or not that change was due to geography, meaning what city you lived in at the time, mm -hmm. whether it was a societal change and that their viewpoints have changed, or whether it was you and whether you changed in your response to the society or geography. Yeah, it, it's a combination of all. I think society has changed since I was a child in many ways. We're growing. There's still a lot of work, but um, it is slowly, I think, getting better, which is a, a good thing. Um, but part of it was also my mindset. It's like you could stay stuck in the past being angry for things that have happened to you. But life is precious and life is short. And I realized I'm going about it the wrong way. And I, you know, I missed out on so many wonderful people and experiences because of that. There's always going to be... Um, ignorance in the world, but that's their problem, not mine. I just don't want to be part of that ignorance myself. You know, so when I see myself maybe thinking something or wanting to shoot back at somebody because somebody says something they shouldn't, I try to be patient. I try to understand where it's coming from because in the end, if somebody doesn't want to hear what you're saying, you can't get through to them. It's just not that time in their life. And so it's just best to sometimes walk away and not be a negative force because then you may reinforce what they already think. It's hard though sometimes because sometimes you just want to tell people, you know, where to go, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> right, right. But what you're saying is profound. What you're saying is profound. Yes. Yes. Just while sometimes you just walk away. <laughs> yes, it's better than the alternative sometimes. So you know exactly. I think most people come from a good place. I just think sometimes there's a lack of understanding or the experience that somebody else is going through. So, you know, try to be patient. <laughs> well said, well said. And Noah, is, was your, is your full question answered? Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. No. I, I felt that was a hard one because it's hard it to pinpoint society, <laughs> geography, or yourself. Like it, it's, it's, it was a hard question. It is a hard question. But part of it is actually geography too, because I missed that one. It really is. If you're born in a really small town where there's not a lot of diversity of any form, whether it be cultural, cultural, religious, or, you know, whatever identity, it's going to be a little bit more difficult versus a major city where you'll see more diversity. So yes, it was a little bit of a change going from a smaller town to New York City. There's still mm -hmm. some there, but it's not as prevalent. It's not every day, you know, so it is a little bit different. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the reasons I left that and for artistic purposes. So, yeah. And I guess the reason why you asked, or Shanice, when you asked if my question had fully answered, I'm, I guess me, I'm hoping, I tend to look at the positive, I'm hoping for progress. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of so, where that question came from, my hope for progress. Yes, and, I, and it sounds like it. It sounds like progress has been made and continues to be made. So thank you, Noah. I appreciate you being on and joining the gathering and for your question. Thank both of you. Thank you, Shanice, and thank you, Cammie. It's been wonderful being here. It's been an honor. Thank you. 
All right. And thank you again to all those who are listening. Thank you, Kombucha EXL, for sponsoring this show. I have tried it and it is good. Go to Kombucha, that's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com and order your kombucha today. Thank you, Evan St. Prue, all the way in Miami, Florida, for making Kombucha EXL a delicious taste of healthy. Also, thank you to Anchor by Spotify for providing this podcast platform. And it has been a joy to host featured storyteller Cami Torres. Thank you again for sharing your story. And please let our listeners hear your voice one more time, sis. Of course. Even in the darkest hours, there will be light. Be kind to yourself. Love yourself. Love y'all. Cami. Yay! Yay! And I'm Shani <laughs> Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. I'll be right back to tell you what's happening next week. Don't move. We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul with your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman. Please tune in again next week to hear another great story and another great storyteller right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. And finally, I sign off weekly with a poem or what I call a poetic offering. High mountains. I think if I paint my skin like you, my life would be better in your shade, your hue. But deep canyons, I think again, oh, look, see what I've painted myself in. These changes triggering a broken spirit, I'm just wanting my heart for you to hear it. Thinking again, sweeping deserts, I'll go ahead, embrace my skin, laugh wildly and grin in the middle of this Pueblo rainforest. That poetic offering is titled, Welcome to Mexico, written by yours truly. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul, a 2021 summer series, and I am Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. Thank you so much for listening. It's radio theater for your soul. We storytellers gather round the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. The storytellers gather round the mic to be with your host, Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, aka Courageous Love. Always just a cut above. Yeah. Storytellers got